This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Temperance Home and Bar Botanica. Temperance Home and Bar Botanica offers self-care with a little sanse in it. Melissa Suze is a sanse espiritista, offering readings, spiritual guidance, and handcrafted magical products that offer opportunities for self-care and reflection designed for your home, bath, and bar. So go ahead and check out Temperance Home and Bar on Etsy or at Temperance Home Bar on Instagram and Facebook for magical, radical self-care for your home and bar. And best of all, you can get 10% off with promo code WITCHWAVE. That's Temperance Home and Bar on Etsy and use promo code WITCHWAVE for 10% off. Ah, <sighs> it's been a long day. I'm tired. Ma, I know just what you need. I'll tuck you in and light your mirrorless candles. That's just what I need. How did you know? It's a secret. My favorite at bedtime. Good night. Good night, Mama. Mithras Candle from the mouths of babes. Go to MithrasCandle.com. That's M as in magic, I-T-H-R-A-S, Candle.com, and use offer code WITCH for 13% off your first order. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Hello and welcome to the Witch Wave. My friends, how are you? It is the one year anniversary of the pandemic this week, and I feel as if I've aged 50 years in the last 12 months, and I imagine you can relate. However, today I am leaning into this creaky crone vibe. Because on this episode, my guest, Taisia Kitaiskaya, and I will be talking about arguably the most potent crone of all time, the infamous witch of Slavic folklore, Baba Yaga. Crones in general have become truly beloved characters to me, whether real-life ones or those who occupy the forests of fairy tales. Historically, they've been figures to fear or mock. After all, the word crone is derived from an old French term which literally means carry-on. Crones remind people of death and decay, things that traditionally set folks on edge. But of course, they are also considered keepers of wisdom and mystery, and they are deeply liminal beings, which is why they are so often the most interesting ones in stories. In a London Review of Books essay called Witchiness, Fairy tale scholar Marina Warner writes, quote, Old women do more complicated symbolic work in literature and myth than males in their third age. Unquote. She goes on to write, quote, And however ancient they are, they're seldom decrepit. However feeble they seem, hunched over a stick with their nose meeting their chin, 
They still exercise uncanny power as the fairy godmother or the evil queen. But no storybook crone can approach the monstrosity of Baba Yaga. Unquote. I can't wait to share my conversation with Taisia about this complex, marvelous monstrous, as well as several other wonderfully witchy literary figures. But before we get to that, first let's check and see what's come through on The Witch Wire. Who is it? Wishes. Sarah writes, I'm so grateful for your podcast. It's really been a beacon of light. I'm currently working towards a PhD in anthropology, looking at death and museums, and have been told after my first year review by examiners that my project isn't viable. The news, of course, really stung, and I even seriously considered quitting and maybe reapplying in a few years when COVID restrictions ease and I can actually do the fieldwork I set out to do, knock on wood. But I want to stick with it now, changing the project's direction and hopping back on the old horse again, albeit a very different one. However, I keep catching myself thinking in the back of my mind, oh, I'll just quit later, or I think I'll stay on. And I think this lukewarm approach is really affecting my work. Do you have suggestions for a recommitment ritual I could do? Love from Scotland. Hi, Sarah. Oh, I love Scotland and hope so much to get back there someday. Talk about a magical place. Now, I actually majored in anthropology myself as an undergrad, so I always love to hear from others who have studied it too. Your focus on museums and death sounds right up my alley. I used to co-run an arts and event space here in Brooklyn called Observatory that was started by the founder of Morbid Anatomy, which is a platform that specializes in the material and ritual culture of death. And I imagine you probably know all about Morbid Anatomy already, as they've gone on to launch so many wonderful projects. But for listeners who might not be aware of them, definitely do give them a look. Anyhow, I'm sorry to hear that you're feeling a little bit shaken after being encouraged to revisit your project. I do want to remind you that sometimes in these cases, when we're forced to go back to the drawing board, it can actually be a great gift because we can discover a new path or perspective that's even more rich and more meaningful than we could have previously imagined. Either that or the heads of your program are just total assholes, I really can't say. But regardless, I hope you'll take this as an opportunity to reassess your situation and find some possible hidden treasure. Speaking of the dead, that would actually be my recommendation here. Since death is your area of speciality anyhow, why not call upon your ancestors and ask them for some guidance and clarity and help in recommitting yourself? Is there one benevolent ancestor in particular who feels like he or she might be looking out for you? Or perhaps you don't even know any of your ancestors' names or stories, and that's totally okay too. But my intuition tells me that doing some sort of ritual where you call on one or several of them to help you know how to carry on here might be really useful. If you can set up a little altar with photographs of them or objects that make you feel connected to them, all the better. Perhaps an offering of their favorite food or drink or perfume. 
I also think that having a knife or dagger on the altar could be really effective here as magical blades help us both banish unwanted energies and can help us sharpen our thoughts and clarify our vision. They cut through the magical crap, so to speak. Then, after your altar is set up, you can light a candle and do an invocation that thanks these ancestors for your life because they are at least partially responsible for it, depending on who you are calling upon, and thanking them for their protection, which presumably they have been giving you, even if you haven't been fully aware of it up to this point. And then go ahead and ask them for some guidance around this issue. It might not happen immediately, but I do believe that you'll know when you receive their answer. It might be a few days or weeks later, but you will know when they send you a message about this particular issue. It might be a sign, it might be a book you suddenly encounter, a dream you have, a snippet of conversation that turns up at just the right time you needed to hear it, whatever it is. Just keep your eyes and your ears and your intuition open and receptive, and you'll receive some sort of arrow pointing the way. Good luck, and let me know how it goes. Now, on to my guest. Taisia Kataiskaya is a Russian-American poet and writer of so many of my favorite things. She is the author of The Nightgown and Other Poems and Literary Witches, a collaboration with artist and former Witchwave guest Katie Horan that celebrates magical women writers and which was also an NPR best book of 2017. Together, they also released a divination deck, The Literary Witches Oracle. Taisia is also the author of two books of experimental, enchanting advice from Baba Yaga herself. The first is called Ask Baba Yaga, Otherworldly Advice for Everyday Troubles, and its follow-up, Poetic Remedies for Troubled Times from Ask Baba Yaga, was recently released as well. Taisia has received fellowships from Yaddo and the James A. Mishner Center for Writers, and her work has been published in journals such as A Public Space, Gulf Coast, Los Angeles Review of Books, Story Quarterly, Fence, Guernica, and more. She has written for The Hairpin, Electric Literature, Jezebel, and Bitch Media. And her work has been nominated three times for a Pushcart Prize. Her writing is witchy and weird, and I adored getting to talk to her all about it. Taisia joined me from her home in Austin, Texas, via Zoom. Taisia Kataiskaya, welcome to the Witch Wave. Thanks, Pam. I think I sent you a message once that every time I hear you, you know, say the words at the beginning of the program, like where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. Like I do get a little misty eyed because it's, I feel such recognition and I just feel like this is my whole philosophy. This is who I am. I finally found my people. Oh my goodness. You're going to get me misty-eyed, and we just started. <laughs> I'm very impressed that you memorized it, first of all. And I'm such a fan of yours, and I've been wanting to have you on the show for so long. So I'm so happy that stars have aligned. Thank you so much for being here. So I want to start us in time and place because you are in Texas right now. So how are you doing? Before we start talking about your wonderful work, I just want to check in and see how things are because this will air in a couple weeks' time. And mm -hmm. hopefully by the time it airs, things will have cleared up and be rolling along merrily again. But with the storm and everything that Texas has been going through, I'd love to know how you are. 
Thank you for checking in on that. I feel like the most privileged person in Texas besides Ted Cruz, because I... (laughs) Is he even there? I thought he was in Cancun. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Oh my God. Texas is full of assholes. (laughs) Better you say it than me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what you believe to be true is true. Yeah. I was very lucky. Uh, We only lost power for a day. Most people I know lost power for five days and then water for, you know, five days or three days or something. It's been really bad here. I'm glad people are kind of hearing about it. And I think like right now, everyone's kind of okay, more or less, at least like the power and water outages. But like, you know, we were in this like deep Siberian winter Mm -hmm. and then it all melted and then it became like 80 degree springtime. And now it's kind of a cloudy sort of dismal fall with all the plants dead, like the cacti have all melted, the agave plants have all melted. Mm. I feel really disoriented. It's been a tough time. Yeah. Well, and for you all to be going through that in the midst of what's already been such a horrific year. Oh my goodness. I'm glad that you're doing okay. And of course, our love and our support and our hearts are with you. And certainly if there are any organizations that you want to plug, if there's a place that you know of locally that you can mention, I know that listeners would be happy to uh, add some resource. Yeah, two places I love are Austin Mutual Aid and the Austin Justice Coalition. Fabulous, fabulous. Well, let's talk about how art and magic and creativity can be fortifying, certainly in challenging times. I think it's fortifying in joyful times, too. Have you been able to write during this last year? Yes, I've written a lot. I actually finished a short story collection. Yes, fuck (laughs) yes. I'm so excited. Congratulations. Thank you. And I've started a new novel. And I actually, because I had power and heat and water and I got the week off work because everyone was in distress, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to work on this novel. I wrote three chapters. I'm pleased. It's interesting, like looking back on my life, like I will say, okay, since I've been a stable young adult, and then a stable adult. I have had like no fluctuations in my creative output Ah. because it kind of is like the one thing that is always stable and always joyful and fun for me while everything else goes crazy. That is such a blessing. And I know not all creative people feel that way. So if you are creative and you have been plugged up and blocked, do not feel bad about it. Because I believe that these things go at their own pace for everybody. But Taya, I'm thrilled for you that that's been such a touchstone for you and steady. Let's jump into how you and I first crossed paths. This is our first time speaking to each other, and yet I feel so intimately close to you through (laughs) your words and your language. You first came on my radar because you put out a book with a previous Witch Wave guest, Katie Horan, called Literary Witches. And I was so honored that you both invited me to write the foreword to that book. That book has since become an oracle deck as well, and it is so splendid. So for those who aren't familiar with Literary Witches, can you tell us about it? Yes. So Literary Witches is a collaboration between me and Katie Haran, and it is basically a compendium in art and text celebrating, as we say in the subtitle, magical women writers. So writers that have something witchy about them. And we use that really loosely with the understanding that, like you say at the top of your show, you know, art is magic. So Katie did these amazing paintings and they would face my text, which should be like three vignettes, kind of prose poetry about sort of invented moments of how they became a witch or what makes them a witch. And then like a little bit of educational stuff about their background and what you might like to read. Absolutely. And I was so impressed by how varied these literary witches are. There are certainly the heavy hitters like Toni Morrison and Sappho and Emily Dickinson, but you have a lot of writers whose names were new to me and whose work I subsequently fell in love with. 
So thank you for that. What was the process like for you both to select which literary witches you decided to feature? That was really hard because, you know, we needed to be realistic about how much we could do. And Katie is a very exacting artist and she spends a lot of time on each piece. So we knew we could only do 30. So we would meet like every week for tea and have these long lists and we would kind of painfully have to cross people off. But we wanted kind of a balance of aesthetics. We definitely wanted to represent various diverse backgrounds and not just, you know, American or British, you know, European, which is, but kind of bring in a few more voices from around the globe. And also not just like contemporary, but, you know, we have Sappho in there. We have Mary Shelley, Emily Dickinson, and then we have contemporary writers too. So how did that then become the Oracle deck? And am I correct that you expanded and added some witches to the Oracle deck? Or What we did is we added 40 witches materials cards. That's right. Yeah. So Katie made these simple but lovely illustrations of like witchy objects that showed up in the text or in her paintings from the book, like apple, ghost, lantern, candle, book, you know, beautiful little objects that kind of speak to the witches. So I like to do like a simple two card reading where I draw a witch and one of her materials and see how they interact. How fabulous. Now, what was the process like in terms of the writing and the illustration? Did Katie's paintings come first? Did your writing come first? Or were you sort of doing that in tandem and in conversation with each other? Usually my writing came first. Sometimes Katie wanted to move on and and get into the next witch because, you know, it was actually, even though the text is slender, there was a lot of research that went into this book. You know, I read books I hadn't read before. I was learning about authors I didn't know much about before. So for like six months or something, I was just reading and writing constantly. And Katie was like, all right, Taya, wrap it up. (laughs) What's the next installment? Yeah, but it was, it was really fun to see like what Katie would come up with, what she would take from the text and what she would out of her own. Absolutely. And how did you even come up with the idea for that project? Because there's something about all of the literary witches that you selected that does feel like there's a through line. There's generally something kind of magical or spiritual about these women's writings. So can you talk a little bit about how the project even came to be? Yes, I was biking around Austin and it just kind of hit me that all my favorite writers are witches. So I thought of like Anne Carson and Jamaican Kate and Virginia Woolf and Emily Bronte and Emily Dickinson and Toni Morrison. And I was like, of course, that's what they are. And I just kind of had this idea. So I brought it to Katie. I'd actually found Katie for Ask Bobby a God. And it was only this year that we were able to collaborate on that together. But she instantly got it. So we just made like, I think five for an original piece and went up on electric literature. And then we were like, that felt really good. And so when we got approached by an agent, we were really happy to do more. So fabulous. How did you and Katie meet each other? So I was looking for an illustrator for Ask Bobby Aga, the first book. Which I'm going Um, to geek out with you all about shortly, by the way. Yes. I was actually on Tumblr of all places. This was like Ah, 2015 or so. Yes. Yeah. And I just came across this painting of all these naked women in the woods around a fire. And I was like, this is perfect. And then I went to Katie's website and found that she lived in Austin, where I live as well. So that was really magical. Then I emailed her and she got back to me within like 30 minutes. and was like, oh, I I know Ask Bobby Yaga. Of course, this sounds perfect. Let's get together. See, that is when the internet is at its best. I know that the internet is also a cesspool and it's horrific, but at its best, it can like make these alchemical partnerships happen and these collaborations. So how fabulous that you live in the same place. That makes me really happy. And do you guys get to see each other now, albeit masked potentially? I did see Katie once from across my yard. That was that was lovely. Um, she, she floated like an apparition, <laughs> a masked apparition. Yeah. I long to have tea with her again, as she knows. Oh, I long to have tea with her again, too. (laughs) On that longing note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. It has been a long and stressful year. 
Are you ready to steep yourself in some healing? I know I am. Seasonal Steep is an experiential subscription box that honors the wheel of the year with a potent combination of herbal medicine, astrology, and tarot. Part tea ceremony, part ritual, and part online class, Seasonal Steep helps you create a space for discovery and learning through a transformative experience that unites body and mind. And here's how it works. Four times a year, Seasonal Steep subscribers receive a beautifully curated box designed to honor the season and strengthen you on your journey. Each box includes tea that features a seasonal herb, two reusable tea bags, a silk altar cloth that can also be used as a mask, and admission to an interdisciplinary online class in which you'll learn about each herb alongside an exploration of planetary and tarot archetypes. Are you looking to build a better relationship with plants? Your Seasonal Steep subscription connects you to your body and the natural world to create harmony and healing. You'll also be contributing to an important organization aligned with our values. This winter's Seasonal Steep box honors water and our earth by donating 10% of the proceeds to Charity Water. Join us this year as Seasonal Steep deep dives into burdock, dandelion, yarrow, and rose. Ooh, that sounds lovely. Subscription details are available at SeasonalSteep.com. That's Seasonal, S as in Sorcery, T-E-E-P dot com. And you can find them on Instagram at Seasonal Steep. And you can use promo code WITCHWAVE for 10% off your subscription. So go on ahead to SeasonalSteep.com and use code WITCHWAVE for 10% off. Ah, I feel more relaxed already. Look, it's hard enough grappling with our own emotions under ordinary circumstances, but even more so when the world is going through massive collective challenges. I am so grateful for my therapist, and even though I've done sessions in person for years, I've been pretty amazed at how effective online therapy has been for me right now. And so I can heartily recommend BetterHelp, an online counseling service which can provide you with your own licensed professional therapist to talk to via video or phone sessions. So if you have anxiety issues like I do, or are dealing with depression, stress, trauma, grief, or even just day-to-day struggles with your relationships or your family, or just feeling like you're not meeting your personal goals right now, which let's be honest, has been very difficult for most of us these days, I really encourage you to reach out to the folks at BetterHelp. They will connect you with a counselor that you can start chatting with in under 24 hours. Now, a few things I really appreciate about BetterHelp is that it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. Plus, they offer financial aid to those who qualify. And they make it super easy to change counselors so you can find one that you really click with. Best of all, Witch Wave listeners, that's you, get 10% off your first month of counseling by going to betterhelp.com slash witchwave. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash witchwave. I believe that all human beings can benefit from therapy. I certainly have myself, and I'm so glad that it's becoming more accepted and more accessible to do so. So please pop over to betterhelp.com witchwave and find a great counselor to talk to. BetterHelp is confidential, convenient care, and you, my friend, deserve that.
Taisia Kataiskaya. Welcome back to the Witch Wave. Thanks, Pam. All right. So you brought up Ask Baba Yaga. This is one of my favorite projects that you or anybody else has created in the last several years. It is so special. And essentially, it is you almost like channeling Baba Yaga. And we're going to talk all about who she is for those who have no idea what we're talking about. But essentially, you're channeling her as an advice columnist and writing in her voice these beautiful, poetic, strange, magical you know, responses to people's questions about problems that they're having in their life. So how the hell did this come to be? It is so weird and it works so well. Well, kind of like my, you know, meeting with Katie, it had a magical origin and kind of the the mystical, but also funny and silly origin has like crept into the way that it's written, I think, in my relationship to it. So what happened is I was working on a play in which Baba Yaga was one of the characters and someone had suggested that I interview my characters like in a notebook, sort of like automatic writing, like, let's see what comes out. Mm. So I was asking Baba Yaga about herself and I was saying, how are things in the forest? Like, what's going on? What do you like to eat? And her response was, look, we're all worried about you here in the forest, Taya. And then she started kind of sharing tips. And as this was going on, I heard this like, clanging in my oven and Bobby Yaga is a very domestic um well she's got a lot of qualities but one of her qualities is domestic she lives in a hut and she's always trying to put people in ovens and you know taking things out of the oven so I was like oh my god she's here she's talking to me and I didn't know what to do with this experience I did feel spooked and I was talking to a friend about it and she said I think you should do an advice column where Baba Yaga is answering the questions about you. She's not going to answer questions about herself. She has the answers for you. So that's how it came to be. Ah, it's so splendid. Before we keep talking about it, I think the best way for a listener to be introduced is if maybe you would indulge us and read (laughs) one of these letters to and from Baba Yaga. So I'm going to read one that feels perennially relevant these days. It's a bit of a downer, but they all are. This is from <laughs> Poetic Remedies for Troubled Times, which is my second Ask Bobby Aga book. Okay, so it's how do I deal with climate change? Mm. Dear Bobby Aga, I carry the painful knowledge that our world is changing and dying. I cannot protect my young children from the future. And I am afraid to infect my loved ones with my anxiety. How can we have inner peace while confronting the rising tide of environmental collapse? And Baba Yaga says, I have watched earth turn over many times, green and red, and black and gold, no species, world state, or life web stays. You worry that nothing of yours will live past the changing, but witness yourself in the bee and the water, in the becoming and vanishment of both in what comes next, and you will know better. The changing brings fear and sorrow, but wonder lurks in the same field, gathers the two sobbing children in her arms and holds. Wonder, she is the only one who stays. Anyone can join her walking into each new earth. And in the meantimes, care for what is here, but don't ask for what is foolish, for the here to be the same 
forever. Ah, uh, that is so beautiful and so heartbreaking and so wise. And that is a feeling that when I'm reading through these different letters and responses that I feel often it's this combination of like, this is so beautiful and so at times painful and so touching. I mean, you described a lot of them as downers. I find a lot of them to be uplifting, but of course people are pouring their heart out to this wise old witchy crone. And well, first, I suppose we should tell listeners exactly who Baba Yaga is in case they're not familiar with her. But then I want to know what it feels like to channel this crony old voice through your system. So, yeah, tell us a little about her. Yeah, so Baba Yaga is a figure from Slavic folklore. She's an old crone who lives in the forest in a hut that has chicken legs carrying it around or staying still. The hut, just like Baba Yaga, has its own mind and its own wishes. And Baba Yaga flies around in a mortar and pestle. And if she like kind of drags along on the ground, she'll sweep up her trail with a birch broom. And she's very interesting among folkloric characters because she's totally ambiguous in the fairy tales. She's Sometimes just completely a villain who wants to eat children, like, you know, in other Western folk tales that we encounter witches in. Sometimes she's like a donor and she gives her lost characters who come to her in the woods the perfect thing they need to, to make it through on their journey. Mm. And what's cool is that she's often both. Like, so in the beginning of the tale, she's sometimes mischievous and she'll make you do her laundry and cook for her and she'll try to eat you and put you in the oven. And then later on, if you kind of outsmart her, things go your way, she'll be like, all right, here's this magic ball of yarn to carry you forward on your next journey. Here's this skull lantern that will burn your stepmother and stepsisters to a crisp. And, uh, I love that help story. That's uh, Vasilisa, right? Vasilisa yes. the Beautiful. Oh, I love yeah. that folktale. Yeah, that's my favorite too. You can't really pin her down. And she's one of the only fairy tale characters who has a name, who's a witch. You know, most witches are just the witch, but she's Baba Yaga and everyone knows who she is. Hell yes. I love the intro to your second book, Ask Baba Yaga Poetic Remedies for Troubled Times, because you say, while Baba Yaga can't replace a therapist or a friend, she offers a different kind of perspective, an ancient outsider to our human affairs, a forest witch who speaks in the language of trees and ponds and fairy tales, an immortal witness to our folly and suffering. And so you touch on how somebody who is ambiguous can have this more, I think, nuanced, expansive point of view about our emotional landscapes in addition to the exterior landscapes too. And so I found that really, really touching. So how has it been for you to embody Baba Yaga while you're writing, and especially while you're writing, answering people's really sensitive queries? Yeah. Well, it's been delightful. It's been a joy to be in touch with her. And what I've done is I've written all the Ask Baba Yaga pieces on a typewriter because she likes that. She likes that it's messy. And that's part of the why the punctuation in the piece is so crazy. There's like commas and semicolons and dashes where they shouldn't be. I wanted to give her like a chance to really play because she's so playful so what I would do is I would kind of sit there and like wait for her language to form and for her to speak in images, which is what she does. And I would edit very lightly whatever came out because I really do trust that whatever I'm channeling, you know, whether it's just a part of my subconscious dipping into the collective unconscious, you know, figure of this ancient creature that we all, you know, the, the Slavs all know, or whether it's actually Baba Yaga in some more mystical sense. I trust her completely, even though she's not trustworthy, like, <laughs> right. And that's, what's so cool about her. I was like, Baba, do whatever you want, you know, get in there. 
<laughs> I love that too much. But she's she's been a great companion for me. She's answered some of my own questions. Sometimes when I'm really in a pinch, I've asked Baba Yaga myself, and I've done the whole process for some of my own questions. That's incredible. And we should say the question that you read from today was a big serious question about climate change. But there's also people who write in who like need advice about their love life, right? Like any other advice column or issues they're having with their family or their friends. If it's not divulging too much of your secret sauce, can you share where these questions come from? Are they from actual people or are you imagining what someone might ask her or some combination? Yeah. So these are all real questions from actual people. Yeah, this was a column on the hairpin, which some of you may remember. I miss the hairpin. I know, I know. Mm, Vive la hairpin. (laughs) I know, bring her back. Yeah, so people who went to the hairpin would write into me and ask babiaga at gmail.com, a somewhat defunct email account, at least for the moment. And, you know, when I started posting on Instagram, folks would find me through Instagram too. So all these are real questions, you know, maybe one or two are from me. I'll let readers guess which ones. (laughs) But yeah, everything is real. I didn't imagine anything. That's so awesome because I wasn't, I knew you used to have the column, but I wasn't sure. And what have the reactions been from people who've sent in the questions? Have you heard any feedback from them? Yeah, people tend to write in and they're really sweet. You know, they, the ones who write in at least always say how, touch they were and how soothed they feel. So that's really beautiful because it is, like you said, these questions are really sensitive. And I've, as a simple mortal person, but 32 years old, what do I know about these? You know, I don't know the answers to these questions, but fortunately I don't need to know, you know, and whenever I would get kind of freaked out, like, okay, this is too hard. I, this is heavy. I don't know what to do with this. All I'd have to do is give it to Baba Yaga. Ah, I love that. Can you clear up, this is a very petty grievance that I have, but in the John Wick movies, they refer to him as Baba Yaga, and it sort of drives me nuts. And I'm like, did they just get that wrong, or is Baba Yaga kind of like a catch-all phrase in Russian, and I'm just not familiar with that for anybody who's, like, spooky? I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what they're doing over there. (laughs) I mean, I'm glad to have her name out there. I don't know what it has to do with Keanu Reeves. And I love Keanu. I just adore him all the live long day. But like, yeah, maybe the lightest bit of Googling would have helped with the script. (laughs) I'm just saying. You know, can't he at least be a woman if he's going to be Baba Yaga? You know, that's the part that hurts me is like, come on, man. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway. All right. Well, I feel I feel very vindicated because the first time I heard it while I was watching the movie, I was like, what? And then I was like, well, gender is a spectrum and maybe there's some linguistic thing that I'm not familiar with. But yeah, it sounds to me like they just maybe got it wrong. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I love those movies anyway. I'm sorry. Sorry, Baba Yaga. So speaking of Baba Yaga, I know that you have Russian lineage. Did you grow up in Russia or were these stories that were brought over to you through your family line? Yeah. So my entire family was born in Siberia in the Irkutsk area, which is by Mongolia. Wow. Yeah. So I spent my first few years there and then we moved to America when I was a little shy of five. And did you grow up speaking Russian then? And are you still bilingual or is that something that didn't take since you were so young? Yeah, I can still speak, read and write in Russian. I do it, you know, not as confidently and fluently as in English, but that's how I speak with my family. How fabulous. And so do you remember hearing about Baba Yaga when you were little or is she someone you got into as you got older? Yeah, she was always there. Like when I think back on my earliest memories, a lot of my memories of Russia are our dacha, which is like a summer house. And pretty much everyone in Russia has a summer house, no matter your socioeconomic status. So we had this house on Lake Baikal, which is the deepest and oldest lake in the world. You can see it from space, you know, it's this long crescent. And the woods around there are these thick, dense fairy tale woods. 
And my parents would go like berry picking and mushroom hunting in the woods. And they would tell me not to come because there were bears and wolves. So I had this very like fairy tale childhood, I feel like. And I always knew that Baba Yaga was out there too. Like whenever I'd go to that house, I'd be like, oh my God, Baba Yaga's lurking. But she was scary, but she was also totally intriguing. Yes. And she still is. Ah, I love her so much. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hag Swag is a monthly subscription box geared towards weirdos, witches, hags, and alternative folk. Once subscribed, you will receive a variety of curated magical items right to your door to help amplify your craft. Hag Swag curates offerings from witches worldwide to provide you with diverse and genuine offerings. Each month's theme has knowledge and offerings that are useful for both new and experienced individuals and that flow with the wheel of the year. Each theme also helps practitioners expand their existing knowledge and build their collection of tools while connecting with others in the community. Containing only cruelty-free, ethical, and gender-neutral items, this is suitable for hags of all walks of life. Use code WITCHWAVE, that's one word, WITCHWAVE, to get 5% off your first box at www.hagswag.ca. That's www.hagswag.ca. And you can also join the growing community in the Hag Coven Facebook group. So go on ahead and order your Hag Swag subscription box today. Want to develop your magical practice? Ready to supercharge your intuition? Want to make progress on an important goal? If so, then you've got to join the upcoming Moonbeaming course. Moonbeaming is where you will collaborate with one entire lunar cycle in a way unlike any other, designed for results. There are informative classes, worksheets, supportive guided meditations, and additional gatherings like a new moon sound bath and a past life regression. And best of all, everything included is yours to keep forever. Join your teacher and prior Witchwave guest, Sarah Faith Goddesdiener, author of The Moon Book, and a lovely community of people helping you to jumpstart your dreams. Enrollment ends March 24th, and class begins on March 29th, and there are payment plans and scholarships available. Email the studio, modernwomenprojects at gmail.com. Again, that's modernwomenprojects at gmail.com with any questions. And get ready to receive some lunar illumination. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Taisia Kitaiskaya. So, Taya, you have a new book of poems out that is so exquisite. True story, as I was leaving the house today to come to the studio and record with you, I grabbed my husband, Matt, and I was like, you have to read this poem. You're going to love it so much. And I read him Song of My Self-Loathing, part one. And he was like, (laughs) tell Taya she's the shit. I love her so much. I love this poem. So, you know, if you need a blurb for your next book, you can quote good old Matt. But I love this book of poems, The Nightgown and Other Poems is the full title, because it incorporates so much of your interest in folklore and the occult and feminism. It is also wickedly funny, and it has a lot of really shocking, beautiful, surreal images. So Why don't we start actually with having you read from The Nightgown and other poems, because I'd love for listeners to get a sense of the language in this beautiful book. I will read what I think is the witchiest poem, and it's called I Visit My Oracle. 
And this poem is pretty wild with words and, you know, spellings and nouns used like verbs, etc. But the gist of it really is that the speaker is visiting her oracle and asking her to make a word for her. By me, I mean the thousand-eyed beast, lacquered, tumored, and nailed, shapely. By woods, I mean arachnoids, lecherous, starved, transparent. By her, I mean big as a moon, Miss Morridge, eyes resting in the usual milk, dusty-brained so that I must wipe it, so that she may aspire for me a word into the glass goblet. Stir it gelatinous into a meaning. Tenders, governs, she does, says I am too hasty to make a herd of languages. Decease, she says, into a pot, and they drop and mule. How conscious, she says, muttering, too conscious. It's all too much for her. She slides back into her slipper, crunches insects eyelessly in a tavern. I go home galoshed, stank all up my being, far from oracled, my hair specks a minx. When at wood's edge, I trip over a loosed burl of a word. How did she trap me so, cobwebbed as she is? And moment, feel me step through myself. But that's a lie. And the trees snicker like they never knew me. Ah! I love it so much. I was so happy that you chose that one to read today. And what I love about it, in addition to all of the witchy visuals, and I'm a sucker for like the monstrous feminine in general too, which is throughout your entire oove, I would say. <laughs> but um, just the way that you use language is so beautiful to me. It's really incantatory, and you're obviously choosing words that not only, you know, are evocative on the page, but also like feel good in the mouth. <laughs> I'm sure there's a better way to put that, but the sounds of it really, you know, feel very incantatory and very mesmeric. So when you're writing, do you read to yourself out loud? Are you paying attention to those mouth sounds? <laughs> I love the mouth sounds the words make, but I also love the way they look. I love everything about them. And a lot of this book is about language and especially about kind of the earliest layer of the English language being Old English or Anglo-Saxon. And I think part of that is because I came to America at a time when, you know, I was five. So I was able to kind of see language come into being. Like in the morning, I wouldn't know what a word was. And then in the evening, I, it would appear. And I just had this experience of words appearing from nowhere and transforming objects. So I tell the story about, I was really oppressed by this American food that I would eat on my daycare and I didn't know what it was. And it was all like sloppy Joes and stuff that I thought was really <laughs> upsetting, but I didn't know what it was called. And so like, on this lunch tray, there were these green, like wrinkled little things. I didn't know what they were. And I would just stare at them with hostility and fear. <laughs> and then one day I found out that they were called peas. And then I was like, you know, these are no big deal. These are just called peas. And I was like, I don't want the peas or maybe I kind of like the peas. And I just had that experience of the word coming in and transforming 
the object and I could do something with that. So I had this feeling of the English language being this outside substance that was magical itself and also mischievous and not fully trustworthy, actually much like Baba Yaga. Mm. And so this book is kind of an investigation into that, that substance of English. Absolutely. And that shines through. You know, this is going to be kind of a weird quote because I'm going to quote from the back of your book. And I don't know if you are responsible for this language or it's just like an incredible editor or PR person. But the back of your book says, the nightgown bears an immigrant's fascination with the alien syrup of the English language, preserving an ancient consciousness of human, beast, and earth. And I love that idea of it being an alien syrup because there's something really playful and evocative about that. And also, of course, exactly what you're describing, this kind of foreign plaything that's viscous and strange too, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that layer is also has to do with time and history because you know, the beauty of etymology is just watching words get kind of crushed, like they would be fossils or, you know, layers of earth being crushed by new layers of earth over time. And you can still find them and they're still kind of like exuding their juices and their DNA on what comes after. Ah, I love that. That's really, really beautiful. Your work is also really funny. Like it makes me laugh. I am a fangirl of I don't know if you'd call them your comics or illustrations that you do too. And it's really, I'm going to break one of my rules, which is like to never describe a comic panel because it's really hard to get the joke. But imagine, listener, if you will, a drawing of a puffy little person and they're saying the words, I am a seductive marshmallow, but who will seduce me? Okay, I know that they have to see it to really love it, but like that's just exactly my sense of humor. Just it's weird and surreal and funny and kind of wry and strange all at once. So how do you think humor has become an important ingredient in your writing and in your drawings as well? Where does that come from for you? I don't know. My family is very funny, I think. And like, that's how we kind of exist in the world. Like, I think we assimilated to America by watching The Simpsons. We were like eating our borscht and watching <laughs> The Simpsons. Then it was like Tales from the Crypt right after that. I feel like that actually kind of encompasses my whole aesthetic. Borscht, The Simpsons, Tales from the Crypt. Perfect Venn diagram. What else do you want? <laughs> yeah. But you've delighted me to my core that you like my drawings because I feel like no one ever likes them on Instagram. I'm like, I guess I'll just put these away. Like, what? No Girls one wants to see this. Wine. <laughs> what? This is gold dust. Are you kidding me? I, I like want a whole book of your drawings. I really, truly love them. Oh, Pam. <laughs> and I was thinking about like your show and like what I love about the witch. And I think it's to me, she's this figure of eternal play limitless play like Baba Yaga being in the woods kind of doing whatever she wants with the elements hanging out in her house flying around like visiting her dragon friends hanging out with the mushrooms that sense of like endless creativity to me has so much to do with like humor as well yes and I think being free too and having the sensibility that none of this is to be taken too seriously and it's all deadly serious and both mm -hmm. of those things are true you know yeah yeah definitely so when we're talking about witches broadly speaking I know Baba Yaga has been a big through line in your life for you and you have all kinds of witchy imagery that has come up through all your projects how are you thinking about witches these days in terms of your own embodiment? Like, I mm. consider you a literary witch. Is witch a word that feels good to you to wear? Well, I'm flattered you think I'm a literary witch. I think that is my aspiration. I mean, I love the witch so much, and I always have. I think I'm waiting to wear the word witch kind of in itself for my like older years. Like when I have kind of nothing left, 
you know, <laughs> my like flesh will just kind of like melt off my body and all my friends will be dead. And then I'm just going to go like full hog into witchery and just do all kinds of crazy shit in my yard. Why? That's my comfort. <laughs> Why wait though, Tayo? Why wait? <laughs> You're right. When I put it that way. That's great, though. But I do think the point that you're circling around, too, is that it's one of the few archetypes that makes aging look joyful and fun, too, (laughs) especially in this world where, as women, we're taught that we lose value the older we get and the witch is something to aspire to grow into, right? Does that resonate for you at all? Absolutely. Like, I feel like the witch is the saving grace of old age. You know, she gives us a way out, like a portal back into the vitality of life. That is so beautifully said. So who are some of your favorite literary witches, whether they're ones that you've covered in your book or your oracle decks or somebody new that's just really exciting? So one who is not in the literary witches book is Barbara Comins. I don't know if you've read her. Do you know, she has been on my list and her name keeps coming up. Talk about following the trail of cosmic breadcrumbs. I'm like, all right, Taya's just mentioned her. This is now like the third or fourth time she's come up for me in the last couple of weeks. So it's clear I need to finally read her. But please share why you think she's a literary witch. She's like an earlier 20th century writer. And she was kind of a feral child who like grew up on, you know, like kind of a dwindling estate untutored and unwashed and so she's kind of an outsider artist of writing she found her way to it sort of by accident while she was breeding poodles and trying to sell cars and stuff (laughs) as one does (laughs) yeah she does some like fairy tale retellings one of her books is the juniper tree and there's a lot of fairy tale imagery in her work there's like kind of a lot of like elemental imagery but also kind of the desperation of being a poor young woman in a patriarchy. Dorothy Press puts out one of her books, Who Was Changed and Who Was Dead, which is an incredible book. So I think she's wonderful. She has like a really, there's something really scary at the back of her work, but also very funny. She sounds perfect for you because you are someone, as I mentioned earlier, who really touches on that monstrous feminine Where do you think that comes from for you? Because I think it takes a pretty badass woman to want to put on that cloak of monstrosity as you do so beautifully and so hilariously through a lot of your work. I've always loved monsters and I think everyone does. Like I think that's why children's stories are full of monsters. But I think you have to kind of hold on to that. Like the goal of society, right, is to kind of like smooth you out and make you lose your monstrous qualities. And the monster continues to hold such power for me and temptation. Like as I get older and become like a polished young professional, (laughs) I love the raw and the ugly because it brings me back to, I think like the, the whole of life. One of my early memories from Russia is my grandmother, she's a botanist and she and I were sitting in her garden in this dacha and we were eating these really delicious little strawberries that are kind of like, they had that wild taste, you know, they're really small and like potent. Mm. And we're, I was sort of digging through the soil and I came across a worm and sort of freaked out. And she said, you know, the worms are important to the soil. Like the the worms keep the earth whole and they're the reason we have the strawberries. And I must've been like four years old or something. But so it was the first piece of philosophy that I ever had. And I think it made a huge impression on me because I always have something of the grotesque, I think kind of inevitably in what I write. I don't seek it out. I think it finds me because I think it is important. You need to have the ugly, scary, slimy thing in the room to actually be in the room, right? Because that's, it's always with us. Absolutely. Well, I could talk to you for 10 more hours. We are going to end there. Before we go, Taya, how can people find out more about you and your beautiful, beautiful books? So they can go to Instagram at taisia.kataiskaya or to my website, taisiakataiskaya.com. Fabulous. Well, I say this 
as such a compliment. You are a sublime, slimy, brilliant, (laughs) beautiful genius. I'm so happy that we had this time together. Thank you so much for being on the Witch Wave and thank you for your work, Taya. I adore it. Thank you, Pam. Thank you for the Witch Wave and everything you do. It's so important. That's it for the show. Thank you again to Taisia Kitaiskaya for sharing her divine and delightful monstrosity with me. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Drop us an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you, and you just might make it on the Witch Wire. The Witch Wave is produced, written, and recorded by me. Pam Grossman. This episode was edited by Rachel Jacobs, thank you Rachel, and myself. Our sound engineer was Josh Wilcox. Our theme music is the song Hand and Eye by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman, Laura Antal, and Cece Pascal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, and now buy Witchwave merch at witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and give us lots of sparkly stars. It really does make a difference and helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at witchwavepod. And you can check out my witch emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store please consider picking up my book, Waking the Witch, which is available everywhere now. And if you want more Witch Wave, or you would just like to support the show, please do join us over on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash witchwave. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on the witch wave.